Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. One of the things I lent on while building Future Women was my network. My guest today is a remarkable woman who, when we first met, was working in a lucrative and powerful role inside the New South Wales Department of Treasury. Tasnia Alam Hannan is now the co-founder and chief operating officer of Arise Foundation, a not-for-profit helping women escaping family violence. Tasnia is in my network. And so in this episode, I wanted to ask her how she built Arise and how important it is to draw on the skills of the people around you. Tasnia, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Thank you, Helen. It's great to be here. Tasnia, can I just begin by asking you, what does Arise Foundation exactly do day to day? The Arise Foundation helps survivors of domestic and family violence and financial abuse to get into paid employment through our Employment Ready Program and Arise Academy. And in Arise Academy, we offer English as a second language, basic digital literacy, employment ready, and also driving school. So how many women have you actually helped into into jobs or into financial well-being? So I would say into financial well-being, everyone that's been enrolled in Arise Academy, because one of our key programs is financial literacy. And we've had this year 38 women enrolled in Arise Academy. And what's your reaction every time you hear that one of those women have got into work? Oh, it's just fantastic. Hearing their voice about, I've got a job, I finally can support myself, I can now afford rent. It's just phenomenal just hearing that, seeing them go through so much because you see their, in the beginning, their confidence be so low, the trauma that they've been through in them thinking that they have no hope and having that hope back brought in, um, it's just phenomenal to see. Was there a moment in your life when you decided this was the sort of work that you needed to do? Yeah, it's really funny you asked me that question because um, I remember when I was at Treasury with a bunch of colleagues, we just said, what could we potentially do that would actually, that would be our dream role? And we were all in government and we said, you know, we're in government because we want to help the people of New South Wales and we want to be here to help people. But what, what is it that we could potentially do? And so all of us just listed down the areas of interest that we wanted to help in. And I had the homelessness and domestic violence. And I really said that I really want to work in this space, whether it's in government or not. So I could, you know, work on social policy or make help with investment decisions within that space. And I did go into that route. But what I realized was that you were very much far removed when you were working in a public service role. And that's when I decided, okay, if I really want to make that impact, I would have to do something that really gave me that role where I could talk to the people getting impacted. And so that homelessness and DV, it's really funny because 
when I first started it, I didn't really think about that specific moment of my time. But whilst going through a rise, I thought about it and said, well, what I'm doing currently is actually an intersection between the homelessness and domestic violence. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So have you had any personal experience with homelessness or domestic violence? I personally haven't, but I had witnessed a family member go through financial abuse and she was reluctant to leave her perpetrator because she was unable to financially support herself and her children. So she endured that relationship longer than necessary due to the financial dependency on her partner. And that is what led me to further research in this area, not only in what are the service offerings out there in the NGO space, but also within the government space. And what I found was funding was readily available for crisis-oriented services, and there were crisis-oriented services everywhere when it came to shelters, counselling, court advocacy, and emergency support services. But there was nothing really there about the next stage, so the rebuild and the recovery stage. And that's when I thought, my family member can't leave because she doesn't know where to go after the shelter. How can she financially support herself? She was also not allowed to work. So how was she able to get that job again? And that's what led me to create Arise Foundation. And that's when you and I started talking more recently, was that intersection between uh, what we do at the Jobs Academy with helping women into work. And I've got to say, it is incredibly exciting every time. And it doesn't matter how many women you get into work uh, in any given day, it is a real buzz. But this podcast is specifically about leadership. And what I wanted to explore with you today is... What does leadership look like when you're in a startup and you actually don't have anyone to lead? You don't even have a team yet. So tell me a bit about that process. You were in a a very successful role on a very clear trajectory to senior roles in the public service in New South Wales. And you walk away from that completely conscious that this is going to be a big and difficult move. What were those first few months like of developing Arise Foundation and what skills did you most draw on? So the first few months were very scary because I didn't know whether I was making the right decision. But overall, my decision was on the fact that this service does not exist. And I know that I can, using whatever skills that I have and whatever privilege I have. So I do have the privilege to say, I'm not going to be earning for the next year to develop a rise so I don't need to have an income. So having that privilege and the skill set that I have, I thought I want to use that ability to create something for the greater good beyond me. The skills I would say that really helped me, definitely my public policy. So in terms of working in public policy, developing programs, doing all the different stakeholder engagements to develop the right programs. So When we created the Employment Ready Program, for instance, we talked to lived experience survivors to actually incorporate what exactly is it that they needed to have an Employment Ready Program. So the program is very much based on survivors that have experienced trauma and this is exactly what they need. So drawing on the skills that I learned in public policy and that stakeholder engagement to develop something that is really tailored. Another thing definitely would be my professional networks. So whether it was with government, whether it was with you, whether it was with different people I knew um, in my previous role at PwC or even in government, the people I interacted with, they were in other roles now and drawing upon their expertise and their knowledge 
to develop something really helped as well. So drawing upon knowing what I'm good at and knowing what I'm not good at, drawing upon those skills. So understanding where my strengths are and building on that and understanding also where I need that help and then building on that to create something. And I also have an amazing co-founder who was the CFO at Parramatta City Council and also Amex Global Business Travel. And she's got a, you know, she's got over 15 years of experience. And that self-awareness, although Arise initially was my idea, I said, I know my experience, I know my strengths. I think you should be CEO of Arise because I know that you have that strategic knowledge and that finance knowledge to lead it to that direction that I want to see it as. And I, um, you know, I took the role of chief operating officer because I knew that was my strength and my ability. Let's talk a bit about that networking piece because that is such an important component of starting a business from scratch. And you said it's one of your strengths. So tell us, how do you network? What are your tips and tricks? For me, networking is about building relationships and building rapport. So I would say I'm not out there because I've seen a lot of people out there network um, being opportunistic. So for me, it's not about that opportunity. It's more about building relationships with people, um, knowing that maybe down the track, they may help me in the future, but I will continue to have that relationship, even if it's um, not going to be helpful for me now. And that's because that relationship that I'm building, it's more than just a professional one. I want to build that personal relationship. I want them to become a friend. Um, So networking for me is really about being empathetic to the other person. That would be number one. And also building that rapport and not being opportunistic. And I think the person on the other side really does see the difference there. They know when someone is just talking to them because they want something. And for me, I'm not talking to someone because I want something. I'm talking to them going, learning one about them because they, they would have a wealth of knowledge that I don't. And number two is creating that relationship. So um, having a, you know, say a coffee with them today and telling them more about myself, learning more about themselves. But at that point, I might not need something. But continuing that relationship and then maybe one day that person might remember me somewhere and go, hey, did you know about Tasnia from Arise? Or, you know, you, you can help. So not being opportunistic really helped me. Did you think actively about that? Was it something you went, oh, I need to be better networked because my horizon is not big enough to build this thing. So I'm going to, you know, make it a mission that this week I'm going to make two new connections. Or are you just born that way? I don't know if it's a learned skill or not, because I feel like even when I first started as a graduate, I had a skill where I wanted to build relationships. So whether it was at PwC, whether it was at Treasury, for me, it was all about building that relationship and wanting to learn more from someone who has more experience than me and also learn more from someone who is at the same level in terms of career journey to me. And building that relationship, I think it's more about I was born in a way where I can easily be friends with someone and build relationships as opposed to I'm born that way where I'm a really good networker. How important has your network been to creating the success of Arise? Incredibly important. So firstly, building relationships before I started Arise has helped and using those networks help me be introduced to people that can, you know, further enhance Arise. So for me, it was building relationships and also my networks backing me and believing in me. Did you ever reach out to your network and 
get a knockback? And if you did, what does that do to your confidence about reaching out to people? I haven't got a knockback, but I've got some no response. So that is a way of a knockback because it's it's not really politely saying no, it's saying nothing at all. So my best response to that is, it's okay, I've got other people, you know, that I can rely on or I can build relationships with. And I think for me, everything that's happened with Arise has come at the right time. So, you know, when I was introduced to someone that could help me potentially with funding, I was introduced to them at the right time because if I was introduced to them, say, in the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have had an evidence base or I wouldn't have had candidates. So for me, it's a journey, but I think everything that happens is for a reason. And meeting people at the right time within your network is also really beneficial. Absolutely. Asking people for help is a numbers game. Certainly not everyone will say yes, and you can't take it badly if you don't get a yes. Yeah. But I do think the only way to expect a yes is if you're prepared to say yes. Yes. And so um, it is very circular. You, you do find yourself saying a lot of yeses to other people in order to get a yes when you reach out. In terms of starting your own not-for-profit, which is an extraordinarily ambitious thing to do, and not just in any area, in the space of victim survivors. What do you think got you over those days of self-doubt? Like what drove you to keep going? What drove me to keep going was um, having my first supporters. So my first supporters would definitely be my family, my husband specifically. So when I first started Arise Foundation and created a program, um, launching a website and everything, I didn't have any candidates. And I thought, what am I going to do? I don't have anyone to go through my program and do the job placements. What what am I going to do? And that's when my husband being my first supporter was like, I have people I know who I do accounting for that will definitely need your service. So why don't I refer them? He was my first referral partner. And Having him who referred one that turned into three in my first intake and getting them past the employment program and seeing their journey actually from when we first started talking to them at Arise and seeing their confidence level, seeing their body language, seeing um, what they thought about themselves in terms of their self-assurance, confidence and self-doubt and then getting them through the program and then seeing them at the graduation ceremony, that is number one what kept me going. That would be number one. And then also seeing them so happy once they get placed into employment and once they get, say, they're out of a shelter because they can afford to be. They can afford to, you know, get groceries for their children and not worry about the next paycheck from Centrelink, for instance. Let's talk about boundaries. Yeah. Are you good at boundaries? I don't think I am. <laughs> I was going to say, I bet you're rubbish at it. <laughs> I don't think I am. So how are you coping, I guess, with the emotional connection that you make with every woman that you have in your program? Yeah, um, for me, boundaries, uh, we define our role. So you know, we're here for you to be support you through your financial well-being, financial freedom. We're here to support you through employment. And we're here to support you through recovery coaching. And if... In terms of boundaries, if a candidate, you know, has that personal conversation with me about 
anything in relation to their mental health, then I would say, okay, thank you for telling me, but I think that the right person to talk to would be a counsellor or a psychologist. I can refer you to one because we have service partners. Or if it's in relation to a legal problem, you know, I can understand where you're coming from and that would be so difficult. Let me see what I can do through my legal networks and see what assistance I can help you and offer you. So creating those boundaries by referring them to the right people, then that's when the candidate realizes, okay, this Arise Foundation is here for us to support us through this journey. I know we can ask them for other help, but we'll get the referrals basically. So you've, you have the resilience, the vision, uh, the determination to get to where you have got to today. Have the skills, the leadership skills change that you need today versus when you were starting out on this journey? So when I first, whilst I was doing Arise and I've got the Employment Ready Program and uh, basically managing the whole process end-to-end, I've had my um, co-founder, who's also the CEO of Arise Foundation, she said, okay, uh, I think that this person, we've got some volunteers. I think this person should manage this now. And in my head, I'm just like, no, I don't think they'll be able to do it properly or the right way or the way that I'm doing it. And actually listening to her and saying, no, you have to let go and delegate. Otherwise, you won't be able to do what you should do for Arise. I think that is something I'm still working on and is slowly something that I'm changing about myself in terms of leadership, letting go and delegating because I'm trying to do everything to make sure that it's the way that I want because I'm worried because it's, a, you know, it's this foundation that you started. I don't know if you go through the same thing. Um, I did earlier this year, yeah. Yeah. And I was, Jamila and I were in a coffee shop in Melbourne and we said, so if we do this, this and this, what what job do we have left? (laughs) And we're like, this is not making us very comfortable. (laughs) Anyway, we found other jobs for ourselves. But there, you know, there's, if if the business is going to grow and if the, if the foundation is going to grow, you have to step up and look at the bigger picture. Absolutely. Repeatedly. Yeah, exactly. So that's something that hasn't completely changed, but I'm changing about myself where, I'm trying to let go of things that I have previously had control over and that's been hard to do. Did you make mistakes in the early days or did you always have a deep understanding of this particular group of women? So our, um, our understanding is based on, um, you know, training that we've done in the domestic violence space. So we wanted to make sure that we were trauma-informed and trained. So we've used the resources out there that is available to be informed in that way and also have asked our um, referral partners to provide any information and training and resources for us to ensure that we don't make any mistakes. But one thing I would say, yes, we have made a mistake where we did place someone into a role that they weren't ready for that employment didn't work out, but that is something that we learned and that is a mistake that we made because I think we didn't understand her background or her previous experience enough to place her in the right role. And that's when we realized, okay, we really need to understand from the candidate's perspective, the right role and skill match in the right level. To anyone listening today thinking... I'd really love to do something like what Tasnia is doing. What advice do you have? If you have the skills and if you have the privilege, because I know that not many people do, if you have the privilege in terms of you've got someone out there that can financially support you for a little bit or you've got savings out there, 
And you do see a glaring market gap that can have huge impact if you do something about it, I would say definitely give it a go. And what is the goal for you? I mean, I've found your career path fascinating given that you were just on a path to a very senior public service job on hundreds of thousands of dollars and meaningful work doing public policy or working in the finances of this state. It's not like you were, you know, you were an influencer getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. You you were doing excellent work. Um, but you, you turned your back on all of that to do this. Where are you headed? What's the, what's the ultimate goal? For me, the goal is to do something that I, you know, I wake up and go, I love what I do. And I'm not tied to anything or any company. I have that free will. So I am doing a RISE Foundation, which is fantastic. I'm also teaching in UNSW um, and I really enjoy that in the social impact space. And I also have the freedom to do other things like, you know, be on this podcast. Having that freedom in terms of a professional career path, I think that really makes me happy. And also doing something where I can see direct impact, like I said before I was far removed, and having, seeing that direct impact, you know, you can't buy that with finances or, you know, there's no monetary figure on that. And for me, I honestly believe Arise Foundation has a lot of potential and money isn't my driver, but I do believe that there is potential for me to start having an income from Arise. How can we help you? So for us, Arise currently, our funding is from donations and corporate sponsors. Hopefully we can get grants down the line, but, you know, raising awareness about Arise Foundation, you know, if, you, if you're a company that wants to refer us women to get them into employment, please become a referral partner. We place our women into employment. So if you're a company out there looking for employees at entry-level jobs, so whether it's in the care economy or the service industry, we would love to hear from you and become employer host partners. And also, if you're a corporate that would love to sponsor us, that would be fantastic as well. And if I want to volunteer? Absolutely. We've got corporate volunteers. We have volunteers that mentor our women. So we have one-on-one volunteers that have mentoring abilities. Or if you want to help our women with CV building or cover letters, that's also something they love. And they also love to expand their network. And having that access to a professional a network for them also means the world. Tasnia, fantastic to talk to you always. Thank you for taking the time to come and speak to us today because I know you do have a lot on your plate. And um, I hope that by talking to us, a great corporate sponsor just drops out of the sky and supports everything that you're doing at Arise Foundation. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall. 